0: Welcome back to Unleashed. We are so glad you are with us and remember that we are the resistance. And uh, wow, it's getting cold out. Eric, what was the uh, what was the wind chill last night? Did you take a look at it? I didn't. It, it was, was cold. It was cold. It was cold. I was sitting in a tree stand last night. You know, we're recording this a few days, you know, off schedule. But yesterday was the last day of bow hunting or archery season for the 2023 winter time, you know, coming into 2024. And I'm telling you, I was cold. I, it wasn't like that cold. It was probably like 22. But when you're sitting there, you know, just motionless, right? Um, it gets cold. It does.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't want any part of it. So, <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> What kind of fool am I? Um, any question this week? What do we got?
1: Okay, now that uh, bow hunting season's over, what's next? What do you guys do to prep for next year? Um You know, that kind of stuff. Right.
0: You know, I'm headed to the uh the ATA show. The ATA of the Archery Trade Association. It'll be in Saint Louis this year. It's been in Indianapolis most of the years. It's been there. It was in Louisville a few years ago. It's been in Nashville. It's been in Columbus, some different cities. But you know, this is the time of the year when I start doing a lot of the outdoor shows. I'll be going to the shot show in Vegas in two weeks. Um so Everybody there is, is asking that same question. They're thinking the same things. You know, what new gadgets, um, what new kind of things can I be doing, you know, getting ready for this next season? And it's kind of a, a cool thing to go to some of these shows, especially like this time of the year, because you begin to see a lot of the, the new innovations um, that they've been putting together. Um, you know, when game cameras first came out, I mean, that was massive because we could start to be able to understand the patterns of deer, where they were moving, when they were moving, all that kind of stuff. But there's always new gadgets to be looking for. And so that's what I'll be doing. And then, you know, as I kind of get through these shows in January, then I start putting my plan together. You know, how am I going to take some of these innovations? What am I going to do with those things? Um, Tree stand placement, you know, food plots for next year by being able to look at and see where the movement has been. Because sometimes, you know, movement can change. You have, you know, construction that can be happening in an area and move deer out of there, Um, food sources can change. Uh, There's just all kinds of stuff. So this is the time of the year when I really do start thinking about um, when do I want to be in the woods and getting all my new uh, stand placements set up so I'm not bumping the deer, you know, in late summer. I want them to be totally comfortable with what they've got. Maybe creating funnels, you know, some areas that you want to be able to move them to. Um, I'll, you know, sometimes my my buddy will come in with his uh, uh, backhoe or some different things and and move some of those down trees kind of over a little bit to move them towards a, a good tree or something that I've got. But this is the time of year you're really just kind of, you know, looking forward to, uh, what are you going to do next year? Making a plan. You know, last week we talked about, um, wasn't it making a plan like for the year this last week when we were talking about new year's? Yeah, I think so. The one thing, right? The one thing. Yeah. You know, it's really cool. I started getting some messages. I got a, uh, uh a message from one of my buddies who, who actually makes bow strings. Um, and Lewis was getting a hold of me and he was saying, man, you know, I, I was listening to your podcast and someone had come in and they were asking me, you know, about, you know, like my passion and what I do. And he says, you know, I think I've found my one thing, you know, Dominant Strands, his, his company um, that he's been doing, but that's what he's passionate about. I mean, he's, he's always like texting me, you know, new videos of stuff he's creating. So that wasn't really a plug for him, but there you go. There's a plug for you, Lewis. So yeah. What, um,
1: what's his website?
0: you know what, I'll have to get that and we'll have to put her on there. Cause I don't have it in front of me right now. Okay. But, uh, he's another one of these guys that just, you know, he's just real. He's I lo- one of the things I love about, you know, guys that love the outdoors is they seem to be really down to earth, you know, in touch with, with nature and with God. And, uh, you know, we go back and forth sometimes, and you know, I've only met him a few times, like at the ATA show. You know, I I actually d- spoke for an event, a game dinner, um, at a church where he was at in Illinois a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, this this time of the year, you know, we're really we're re- looking up for the next season, but this really is a great time to to look at the one thing like we talked about last week. You know, what is that thing that I'm passionate about? And and now these cold winter months, it kind of gives us a chance to to really be thinking about what's my plan, you know, not only for whitetails or turkey or whatever you're hunting for this next year, but my passion, you know, my calling. And so today I kind of want to go into a little bit about, you know, some of the struggles that, that when you start to look for that one thing. The enemy's going to come after you because he doesn't want you doing that one thing because you're going to be effective because it's your passion, it's what you were made for. Um, you know, I was telling you yesterday I was I was sitting in a in a stand last night up until late, and the one thing about being in a tree stand, especially in late season when kind kind of things have slowed down a little bit, I get a chance to really just spend my time with with God. Um, there's no distractions. You know, I'm not. My cell phone's not going off, I don't have emails, you know I'll have to take somebody somewhere in the car or whatever. and I was asking God last night, I was bringing him some of my my anxieties and fears that that sometimes that I can I can struggle with and I, and I went back to an old story for this podcast. Um, I had written something back around I don't know what year it was, probably around 2008, and I had done like a, an audio um, CD back then called uh The Hunt for a Man's Heart. I mean, you can't find it anywhere now. But I, I had gone through a story that I had written and it's it's interesting. When I found this, I pulled this this story out and I went, man, I forgot all about this. And it's gonna sound funny because when you hear the story, you're like, Man, you forgot about this? But yeah, I mean when you're when you're out there doing stuff all the time and you get a chance to be with some some great hunters and some great, you know, environments. Um, they're just It just kind of stacks one on top of the other when it comes to stories, and I think that maybe God pulled this one out for, for now because of what we're going to be talking about. But I wanted to kind of go back, and I've, I've got my computer here, so forgive me as I, as I kind of just take a second as I'm looking at it, but this is a story. I, I was hunting in north-central um, Indiana probably around, had to be around 2001, and there's a a reservoir up there called Salamony Reservoir. I mean, you've probably heard of it before, um, Eric, up there. But it's it's maybe I don't know an hour from my house or something. But it was it was during bow season, and I would go up there. You know, I'd have my back then. I think I had a loggy bayou stand, a tree stand that was on my back, and they were a really comfortable. Uh, stand. the only thing was they kind of had this metal band that kind of wrapped around the, the back when you put it around the tree and at first they didn't have the teeth to kind of dig into the tree as you were climbing and man this one time I was up in the tree and it started to rain and the temperatures were dropping and I didn't want to get down die hard hunter here and I mean that tree the bark it was a smoother bark tree mistake number one because there weren't good teeth on the on the stand to dig in. And when I went to get down, I mean, that metal band that goes around that stand slid about 10 feet, and I went with it. And the next thing I know, I'm looking up, and there is the top part of my climbing, uh, you know, uh, stand hanging up there. And I ended up having to, you know, get a branch and poke that thing until it would come down to where I was. But, man, was that scary. But it was maybe a month earlier than that had happened. I I was up there in early season. It was in October. And as I was walking back this trail about a mile to go where I like to go hunting back in this, uh, oak grove where the, the whitetails love to, to feed. I came up over this ravine and there was this, this old man, probably, you know, he was probably 82, 83, somewhere in that area. And as I, I walked up to him, he, he didn't even see me coming. And I was totally, you know, in my camo cause it's, there's no blaze orange required yet. Um, but he was, he was rabbit hunting actually. And so as I was coming up to this guy, I saw he had like that that old red flannel, you know, like that Woolrich kind of a old hunting shirt on. And he had a he had a, a blaze orange vest or something he had on top of it. But I could tell, you know, that he'd worn that that red flannel probably for for 50 years or something. It was a really old kind of a threadbare shirt. And as I got close to this guy, I spoke to him, and when I got really close cuz he wasn't looking at me and he like freaked and he spins around with his double barrel 12 gauge and it about takes my, my eye out. Right. And I kind of move out of the way with this thing. And he, he spins around and he's got like this, uh, like a little stubby left of, I think it was like a camel cigarette, barely an inch long, you know, those old filterless things. Um, and so as, as I'm getting ready to start talking to him in the distance, I can hear his beagles. He's got a couple of beagles cause he's been running rabbits. And as I, walk up to this guy and he spins and almost takes my eye out. I kind of looked at this guy and his, his one eye, there was, there was something off a little bit because it kind of drifted around as we were talking, like maybe like an ice cube in a cup of like hot water or something. So I could tell he was having a little trouble hearing, a little trouble seeing, you know, he was a little old and I'm kind of wondering why is this guy out here, you know, on his own, you know, he's, he's considerably older. and And frankly, I thought it was a little bit dangerous, but as we're talking, I I see his beagles running, you know, back and forth along this old, like a, uh, like a rotted wood and and barbed wire fence row. And he was, he was really surprised, like I said, to see me. Um, And so as we begin to kind of talk, you know, I was telling him what I was going to be doing back there and we had a great conversation, but it wasn't too much later. I was like, man, I, I need to get away from this guy because all that smoke, you know, from the the what he the cigarettes he was smoking was getting all over my camouflage. You know, you've heard me talk about it before. You know, the whole three keys to being successful in hunting, especially bow hunting, is don't be seen, don't be heard, and don't be smelled. Well, this guy's, you know, cigarettes going all over me. And so I'm like, man, I got to get out of here. So I, I turn around and I begin to walk away and I get maybe 40 yards down this path. And this scared rabbit that had been being run by these beagles had been, you know, way far ahead of these, these dogs. And all of a sudden it didn't see me. And this rabbit runs right out on the path where I'm at. And the thing stops right in front of my legs. I mean, right in front of me. And the rabbit just kind of looks up. He's kind of freaked. And I had been holding back a cough, you know, this whole time when that guy was kind of blowing smoke on me. And as I'm standing there, this rabbit looks up at me and I can't hold it, man. I just cough. And that rabbit takes off, literally goes between my legs. It was like he thought I was a branch or something because I'm wearing camo. And as that rabbit begins to go down this path towards this old guy, the old man doesn't even see me. Because I'm I'm standing still now and I'm in camo and I'm kind of blending in. I'm far enough away, he's struggling. And as the rabbit is running towards him, his dogs start to go nuts and the guy raises that 12-gauge double barrel. And I saw it coming. All I could do was spin around. I just kind of, you know, put my arms over my, like my, my, my face. And I spun and and squatted down as fast as I could because I had that tree stand on my back. I wasn't really thinking about that at the time. And he lets, you know, the shotgun just roar, you know, just boom. And as I spin and I duck down, it sounded like someone threw like a, a handful of BBs at a Maxwell House can and a whole bunch of those shot, you know, came flying up and hit the back of my stand. And I stand up and then he sees me. He's like, hey, I think I got him. I said, dude, you just about got me. This, and so I'm This kinda, sounds like a Bugs Bunny episode. It, <laughs> like, this is crazy. So we it and it does. So I'm like, I turn around and I'm like, I'm going back to the truck. I had some other camo. I'm like, I stink. But honestly, I was like, I went back and I I took that hunting stand off and there was a bunch of dents on the metal from the shotgun where little like paints and like things taken off. I literally took my camo off and held it up to the sun to see if there was any holes through it. Because I really thought something had come through this.
1: When when they started uh, opening up some of these hunts like in, the, in Brown County and stuff for deer when they were like massively overpopulated. Right. I remember my dad was hunting over there. <clears throat> for about an hour because he said it reminded him of Vietnam. He said, people. he said it was insane.
0: That's what I love about bow hunting because they, you know, there's some of it intersects with gun season. You can still hunt with a bow, but I love being out there because you don't have all the guns going off. You don't have a lot of guys out there and no disrespect, but that they, they only can get out maybe because of work, you know, maybe a couple of days a year. And so they're not as cautious, especially with a gun, thinking about not being seen, heard, or smelled. They still have to pay attention to it. But, I mean, in all seriousness, in bow hunting, I'm trying to get that deer within 20 yards or less, right? And you can reach out and touch someone with a, you know, a high-powered rifle, .30-06 or whatever you're shooting, from hundreds of yards away. So it's a lot more vital, you know, for for archers to to really get out there at a time when the woods aren't being kind of stirred up. Because it is. I mean, it can – when I was a kid in Pennsylvania – as soon as it got light, you know, you're seeing, you're seeing flashlights before light of all these guys coming in. And then you look around, there's orange, there's orange, there's orange. You're like, man, I'm never going to get something, but it is, it can be pretty nuts. So, you know, I take that, that camo off and I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, I'm all right here. And as I was thinking about this story, I was thinking about how that stand, you know, when I spun around, protected me. Um, because had I not had that on, I would have had some of those pellets, obviously, you know, in, in me, um, you know, being my back could have gone into my kidneys or wherever. But the thing that, that, that protected me, you know, was like a shield. And that's what that stand was, you know, in that moment. And I was thinking about um, that verse that talks about, you know, the, the sword of the spirit, you know, the, um, the shield of faith. And when my, when my son was little... Um, when we would pray at night, we would always talk about putting on, you know, the full armor of God. And it's so funny as we would go through, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, the helmet of salvation and the, the breastplate of righteousness, um, what is it, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the shoes, you know, of the gospel ready to, you know, run. And, and my son made one up when he was probably like four years old. And it was, uh, what do you call it, The binoculars of red lasers and yellow lightning. And that was how he he would see like the armor of God. But that day, you know, I realized that God in a different way really had extinguished those flaming arrows, which were kind of like the red lasers and yellow lightning that had been fired at me. But, you know, a sword, when you think about, you know, that sword of the spirit, it's only a weapon when we draw it from the sheath. You know, ancient warriors would never go into battle without their weapon, and our weapon, weapon is the word of God. It's, it says that the word says that it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. So likewise, armor is only effective when you put it on. So that day, you know, my portable tree stand really became kind of like my shield of faith. And so that, what is that? I think that verse is it's Ephesians 6, uh, I think it's 13, 13 to 18, something like that. But, you know, when my when my son was little, I was telling you about how he used to pray that. Um, it was around 2003. He'd have been eight, and I went to Colorado um, Colorado Springs to go to one of the John Eldridge Wild at Heart um, retreats they had up in the mountains there. And, he, you know, he was showing movie clips, and one of the movie clips he would show, there was two I can really remember. One was Braveheart, one was Gladiator, and both of them had swords in it. You know, there's something about men, boys, we love There's something about holding that sword in your hand. You know, it's just, it's like having that bow, that primitive weapon. And so when I came back um, from that retreat, I had ordered a full size claymore sword that I was going to give to my son. And I wanted to give it to him and on the blade, you know, have it engraved, you know, dangerous for good. Because every little boy, you know, Eldridge talks about this, how they want to know that there's someone dangerous, you know, someone to be reckoned with. Um, When you think about the games you played when you were a little boy, um, chances are you probably played, you know, Army or Cowboys and Indians or something like that. It might be politically incorrect now, but oh, well, that's what we played because that's how we were created, to be a protector. You know, when we're called upon to be able to show up, you know, our biggest question, you know, can I, will I, do I have what it takes in the moment? Well, yes, men were created to be able to be that protector, to be able to show up. And so I brought back this sword. And what was really great, Eric, was I, when, I, when I pull this thing out of the sheath, it's like massive. It's like 50 inches or something. It's a huge claymore, the big blade. And the first thing, you know, his eyes got like the size of silver dollars when I took this thing out of the sheath. And the first thing he says to me is, Dad, can I take that outside and hit some trees with it? <laughs> Because he just, he wanted to do battle, right? Right. You want to go and hack on a tree. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, don't hack the trees like in the yard, son. You know, you could be taking all of our stuff down. But what was really cool was, you know, it's been how many years since then? It was 20 years because it was this Christmas just, you know, a couple of weeks ago, 2023. And that was 2003. Everything came full circle. My son for Christmas for me got me a sword. But it wasn't the claymore from Braveheart; it was the the two-edged broadsword that Maximus had in um, Gladiator. And dude, that blade on that thing that he got me—it was for real. And this was an expensive sword. I mean, he he really saved and put some time behind this. And even the blade on this thing is oiled to keep it, you know, maintained the right way. But when he gave it to me, I know some people will be going, what are you going to do with that? I mean, you're, you know, you're an old guy now. What are you doing with that sword? Well, it's one of those things that I'll be able to take with me at some of these events and talk about, guys, God has given us a sword in our lives. We can either use it to protect our family or we can use it to tear them down. So what are you, you going to choose to do with that? You were called to, to you know, at this time in your life to be able to step forward into that purpose like we just talked about. But what is the thing when you think about, you know, yeah, we have this this sword, you know, when you think about it, um, that God has given us that we can use, which is the word of God, that two-edged sword. But what is it that keeps us, that holds us back from being effective when you think about your purpose and about how being dangerous for good you will and you you can be and you will be once you embrace that and you move forward into that, that purpose that God has for you? You're going to get hit with attacks. I'm telling you, I've talked about this so many times. You know, I always go from you know, a lot of the, the crazy stuff in the wilds that we talk about, you know, being charged by bears. I was looking at, um, I'm just getting ready to write some articles for bowhunting.net. And they would contacted me this last week. And I was writing a story about a bear hunt that was coming up or that I just had. And I was talking in this thing about, you know, all my experience with bears, which is pretty crazy, though. Know? I mean, I've had them sniff my tent at night. I've been, you know, charged, chased up trees. I had the one push me back off the, the, the shore up in Alaska about 20 yards. He was, he was four, four yards from me, and he pushed me 20 yards back, and I had my 44 magnum pointed right at his skull, and he didn't listen. I mean, it was just, that's the kind of crazy stuff. But I thought, you know, how can we take this week— and move it into the attacks of the enemy because that's what it feels like when you're in the wilds and you know things can go wrong you start to feel a little bit of anxiety a little bit of fear like if you've ever walked up on a on a bear pile that's like when you've had a brown bear you know take down a, a, an animal and they'll they'll bury it with some brush so they can keep coming back and feed on it and if you've ever walked up on a bear pile you can feel like the hairs on the back of your neck stand up because you know he's not far. He's not going to get too far away from where that pile was. So you begin to feel fear. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to begin to feel when when you're thinking about your purpose, um, moving into that thing. So as I was sitting in the tree stand the other night, um, this isn't a left turn, Clyde. I'm kind of bringing it back here. What are some of the things that that I took to God as I was sitting there? Because I have that relationship with God where I know I'm not being judged. He, he knows my story, um, and I can, I can take anything to him, and he's, he's going to love me no matter what. That's the beautiful thing about a relationship with God, that when you understand that your identity is in him, and we've talked about this, where it's not the good things or the bad things that you've done that make you his child, that make you his son, if you're a man listening to this right now. He gave you his righteousness the moment you truly believed and gave your life to Christ. In that moment, he put his promised Holy Spirit in your spirit. Because remember, you're made up of three parts, a body, soul, and a spirit. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5:23. look it up. And so he, he's made you with those three parts. So he gave you his identity. He put his spirit in your spirit. And so that's one of your main weapons we're going to be, be talking about um, as we go through this. But as I go to God, I know it doesn't matter what I'm bringing to him. He cares. And that's one of the main things um, that all of us want and need. You know, someone really cares, right? Do you really care about my life, what I'm going through? Yeah, he does. So I took this to him, and I said, God, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit haunted from some of the stuff, you know, from my, my past. And, you know, when, when Garrett gave me that sword for Christmas, you know, it's been 20 years, and I begin to look at the last 20 years, And I began to look at, you know, of course, some of the things that I felt like I did good as a dad. And then I began to think about some of the stuff that that wasn't as great, you know, that I did as a dad, you know, any wounds that some of those things might have created. And, you know, and saying, God, you know, this next season of life, whatever I'm moving into here, allow me to see, you know, who I really am so that I can make less and less mistakes and to be able to teach more and more about who you are. And so, as I started going through that, I began to think about you know my my last decade probably of life, and that was one of the hardest decades um, that I went through, and it was a big part of it because I lost both my parents. I lost them. There was a car wreck that had happened, and and I've, I think I've talked about this, but it took my dad probably a little over a year to pass away after the the the, the, uh, the car wreck. He had been in a in a coma for months. There's nothing harder. Um, then watching, you know, something like that happen. You know, my dad used to take me hunting, and we had so many stories together. But when he was in a coma, I would sit by his bed and just tell these stories, hoping that somehow he was being able to hear it, because I wanted to make sure that I was connecting, even if I didn't know whether he could hear me or not. And so when he ended up, you know, coming out of the coma after about three months, I would still tell those stories, you know, at his bedside. Until, until literally the day he passed, I can remember only about uh, five days before he passed away, he had a massive stroke. And he, I mean, he couldn't even blink. I mean, there was, there was nothing, not a finger twitch, nothing. Except when I would tell the stories, I could see a tear coming down his cheek, so I knew he could hear me. And I'm, I'm thankful. I mean, those were rich moments that I had a chance to be able to do what he did for me as a young child. I could speak into his life. And when he wasn't maybe physically, you know, able or capable at that point. But there was that love that was there. Well, what was difficult was only four months later, my mom passed away. She fell in the shower, broke ribs, um, ended up getting pneumonia, and she ended up passing away. And as I was thinking about this thought, you know, when those kind of things attack, here's the deal with that. You're going to have a lot of um, emotions, I don't want to call those unhealthy emotions because grief is not unhealthy. Grief is healthy. And the more you grieve over something, it probably lets you know how close you were to a parent or or a brother. That one gentleman that I was speaking with earlier had lost his brother, and he still speaks, you know, about, man, I wish my, my brother could still be here, you know, to see what I'm doing now with the company and share all these stories with. But the closer the relationship, the more you're going to grieve. But when that grief goes so long and so deep that you're not able to function, you've got to be really careful at that point because now you've got to go, what's the difference between a healthy emotion and an unhealthy emotion? And how do I get back on my feet again? So when that, that old hunter had fired that, that shotgun and I spun around to self-protect, right? If I'd have stayed in that position, I wouldn't have been able to get back on my feet again and be able to move forward. It was that shield that protected me, and that's what the Word of God does. When it talks about this two-edged sword that can divide, right, between bone and marrow and all those things, that can judge the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. When we invite Christ into those places in our life, maybe it's mistakes we made, maybe it was things that were done to us, but they can all hold us back, make us want to crouch down, and and we don't move forward um, with both barrels blazing the way that I want to be able to do against the enemy and my purpose. So, when that, when that, happens, where do we go? No, what do we do? And when, as I was making this inventory, I, even in that moment, I was thinking about my my mom passed. I mean, you talk about it feeling like the rug being pulled out from underneath you, losing both your parents within you know four months. And I had a speaking event. I had just gotten there um, within about thirty minutes of when she went unconscious. It was a four hundred mile drive, like with the worst fog I'd ever been through, and when she had passed away, I had a speaking event like, um, like little more than 24 hours later down in Pittsburgh. So we got all the funeral arrangements done and I went down to Pittsburgh to go ahead and, you know, follow through with what I was doing. And I get to the hotel room that night and I'm laying there and I, and I shut the light off and immediately those attacks, you know, just feels like both barrels were blazing at my mind. I couldn't stop my thoughts. And I sat up and I turned the light on. I said, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I said, I'm struggling because I remember in that moment seeing her take her last breath and seeing her eyes, you know, just fixed. And I couldn't get it out of my head. And God said, all right, I'm going to help you with something right now. He says, the moment that she took her last breath and you saw her eyes fixed, they were fixed on something you can't even dream or imagine. You know, our heavenly Father has a way. Sometimes it'll be through His word. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to us because He knows what we're needing. Because He does care, and He moved into my world in that moment and reassured me that she was going to be okay. Um, she was okay, and she's going to be okay forever. So that fear though know, both my parents were gone. It was like it was a fear, it was like of abandonment, because the two people that had raised me in and loved me no matter what, you know, they're now gone. And you, you've you probably found this out. And hopefully, you know, maybe you didn't have a great childhood. And for that, I am very sorry. But for those of you that I'm speaking to right now, maybe when you think back about those, let's just say the people in your life that were close to you, that cared for you, they pass away. When they're gone, it's like, what do I do with that? This fear of abandonment? Because you're made for relationships. That's why that's why this life even exists, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, showing up for each other in those moments. You know, that's one of the greatest purposes that you're ever going to have. But it changes it changes everything in your life. And you're, you're going to have emotions you don't know what to deal with. Um, you know, a couple of things that I went through after that was only a year later I'd gone through the pain of a divorce, and I've shared that before. But what I haven't shared was a couple of things that happened that were attacks that just about knocked me out of the game. Um, you know, one of those things where you go, God, I, I I can't do this anymore. I don't know what to do with this. One of them was, you know, a very close friend of mine uh, called me on the phone one time. I was actually at a hunting camp. And after the divorce, you know, he called and he says, you know, it's, I know it's painful. Um, but right now I think things are so sensitive that I think it'd be best if you didn't come to this wedding. There was a wedding that I was being uninvited to. And in that moment, I was like, wait a minute. Why would I be un- uninvited to? And I couldn't, I could not, I couldn't figure it out. And it was, it was hurtful. I felt, you know, again, like just ripped apart. That's the thing with divorce. It's not a, a, a clean cutting and a tearing. It's, it's, or it's a tear- tearing. It's like, like um, two brown bears tearing a salmon apart. And then maybe only a few months later, you know, I was, uh, oh, I was, I was at a store. wasn't that far away from here. And like I saw
1: someone uninvited you to a wedding Yeah, because of the divorce.
0: Yep. Yeah. It it was hard, you know, and this is a person, again, I I don't know all the the reasons behind the scenes. Um, I wish it would have been shared with me maybe a little bit. That's cold-blooded. Yeah. You know, and again, and this, I don't want to give away too much. This was a person that that knew God, but I think in that moment, maybe self-protection, buying into their own lives, I don't know exactly how to explain it, but it was what it was. And i forgiven, moving on. But it was Shortly after that, there was a, a former family member that I had run into somewhere, and I was excited to see this person. I walked up to shake hands, and they wouldn't even acknowledge that I was there. I, w- I kept talking for a minute. no, I left, and I went out to my truck, and I sat there, Eric, and I felt like I had just stung, been stung by a hornet that was the size of a football. I mean, like I felt like like Mike Tyson had just wound up and punched me in the gut as hard as he could. Because this is a person I had had relationship with for, for decades. And again, you know, when, when that kind of stuff happens, we have to remember this. Everyone has their own history to deal with. And, and it says in um, Romans 14, I think it's chapter one, treat them gently for they have their own you know, history to deal with. But the only thing that pulled me out of the funk with, with both of those was my identity. And when I went and sat in my truck after that happened, God said, remember who you are. Sounds like Mufasa. (laughs) Simba, remember who you are. Um, I had to remember who God was, who I am. I am his beloved. And people are going to um, go through their own storms. And they're not always going to handle them perfectly. So pray. You know, for those that persecute you, the Bible talks about that. But what can we do? You know, I mentioned about our identity, but there's more than just being able to say, yeah, I'm a child of God. My identity is found in him when we're called to renew our mind, like Romans 12, two talks about that you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now the transforming isn't what happened the moment you believed in Christ. That was not like, we're talking about transformation. That was a transfiguration. The moment that you truly believed you were transfigured. The old is gone. The new has come. You are now God's beloved child. But the transforming, when we have thoughts like this that are holding us hostage, you know, it's like credit card debt. How do you get out of it? Well, you've got to save money. You've got to pay it off, and eventually it goes away. It's the sanctification process. It's when we begin to renew our mind and we begin to live differently. Now, it didn't change your righteousness um, because you started to renew your mind. You were already righteous in Christ. But now you're going to be making better choices. You're not going to have as many unhealthy emotions. You're going to be able to move forward. Because you've learned how to renew your mind. So let's kind of just look at that for a second here. Um, You know, one of the best things you can be doing, like I talked about, was, you know, getting in a tree stand and and being alone with God. Because when you renew your mind, I want you to, to, um, I think I talked last week, we talked about Stephen King, about he takes those four hours every morning. We talked about some of those crazy movies where we're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea he'd written so many of these.
1: Yeah, like Shawshank Redemption and stuff.
0: Yeah, I was like, wow. Yeah. Well, how how was he? How was he so productive? Because he got rid of distractions, you know, around him. We talked about you know turning your cell phone ringer off, shutting your laptop, emails, you know, dog barking, anything. And, it, and if we can take our job seriously like that, we need to take our, our our time of renewing with God is is equally if not more important, because we need to be able to listen to the Holy Spirit speaking into us as He begins to heal us. His word really is a bomb that is healing and soothing, and even though the storm may still be raging, He'll still calm you. He calms the child, you know. And sometimes it's the opposite way. Sometimes He'll calm the storm when everything is going on, but He always has a way of being able to move in when we invite Him into that place. And sometimes we wonder, you know, why God would allow us to keep hitting with, getting hit with those arrows at our core wound. It feels like, and we just getting an arrow keep getting launched. And it feels cruel, but the thing is, until we get to the core of what's really happening, it's it's grace that God is allowing us to keep getting hit with that same arrow and that core wound because it's causing us to have to deal with it. You know, we'll finally get to the place where you're going, God, I can't do this anymore. So I'm bringing it to you. So let's look again at some, some um, maybe some scripture and some things around some of the fears. So I put together a small little list. Um, and I want you to think about just a couple of these. I'm going to give you a few things and see if there's any of these that maybe you're currently dealing with that you're struggling with. Uh, how about fear of failure? I mean, that's a big one. You know, I, I struggle with, you know, feeling like I'm never going to be good enough. I think all guys do at some point. Um, I think everyone does. What about fear of success? Now, that's a big one because when you think about why would you be afraid to be successful, well, there's going to be a lot more required of you now if you're successful, Right. And so you might be afraid of that part of it. Um, What about fear of abandonment, like I just talked about? Maybe it was, you know, through the pain of a divorce or losing loved ones close to you. Fear of dying. You know, I I know the older I get, you know, everything's a little bit different now. You get a little illness and you're kind of going, man, what's going on with my body here? I had a a friend going in this morning, um, getting a biopsy done. And so I was praying for him this morning. What about fear of rejection, like the being uninvited to a wedding? That was tough. Um, I mean, you can fill in the blank. There's all kinds of these things we can, we can talk about, but think about, you know, any of those I said, you know, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of abandonment, fear of dying, fear of rejection, um, or fill in your O's, your own, your own, uh, um, category there. You know, when I was a kid talking about fear, um, you know, I was, I was made fun of because I was, like, the skinniest kid in my school. I mean, I really was. I've said before, I, I could turn sideways and stick my tongue out and look like a zipper. And I would get, you know, picked on this kind of stuff. And I would always, I always hated shirts and skins in gym class. We had to do that. You know, like, half the guys, when you got picked, had to go, you know, with your shirts off. And I hated that. I mean, I, you know, could see my rib cage it looked like something on the Sahara that was, had been dead for, like, two weeks. But, you know, as a, as a result of, you know, being, like, the last one to be picked as a kid, um, I'm, I'm afraid of ex- experiencing that same pain again. And so maybe that's some of the reason why I was driven, you know, to, to be a weightlifter or whatever those things are, to try to kind of cover some of those wounds up. But you and I both know external things like just lifting to try to make yourself bigger doesn't fix the pain that was at your core because it was an identity issue because you believed your identity came from other people's opinions and how well you performed. I mean, we, we've all struggled with this. So, you know, you can, you can fill in the blank with what your thoughts were that created those, those fears that you had. But let's, let's just kind of look at a couple of different lies. And here's what you do. When you, when you can see the unhealthy emotion that you're experiencing, whatever that emotion is, you have to go deeper and look at the thought that created it. Because somewhere in that thought, there is a lie twisted in. And that's why you're feeling that unhealthy emotion. And what you have to do is you have to find that lie and you have to rewrite it with truth. Um, I I would call these truth statements when I'd be, you know, coaching someone, I'd have them, you know, write this stuff down. Then I would go back and I would give them truth statements that I would have them go back and renew their mind with, um, during the week. So each week when they would begin to renew their mind with this, uh, God's word, um, the lie began to fizzle out more and more and more because it was being replaced with truth, and you could see them getting healthier and healthier and happier and more productive. That's what it does when you renew your mind. It's a beautiful thing. So let's say that the lie is something like, um, I'm not good enough, you know, so and therefore I'm not, I'm not worthy of your love, and maybe I deserve to be punished, right, for something that I did. I just wasn't good enough, and I deserve to be punished. But the truth statement might look something more like, you know what, I am totally accepted by God, no matter what I've done, good or bad. I am deeply loved by God, so therefore, I can love others with God's love, like that man who wouldn't even talk to me or shake my hand. In that moment, God said, pray for him. That's loving others. It's nothing that he might ever know that I did, but the thing to do, what, what did it do when I was able to forgive? Um, what had happened, it changed my heart. And I was the one that was really struggling in that moment. I prayed for his anger or resentment, whatever it was, but it released me. That's what forgiveness does. It's a beautiful thing. How about, um, like, the lie might be, you know, things in my future are going to be bad, you know, for whatever reason. Maybe it's because of your age or your education or whatever. Um, So let me go back to James uh, 4, 13 to 15. And it says, and now I have a word for you who brashly announced today at the latest, tomorrow, we're off to such and such a city for the year. We're going to start a business and make a lot of money. But the scripture says, but you don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. And the word says, instead, make a habit to say, if the master wills it and we're still alive, we will do this or that. Being able to put your life And every day in God's hands, you can't believe the peace it brings you. Today is crazy. I'm getting ready to leave, you know, uh, for the archery trade show tomorrow morning. And I had so many things to get done today. Every single thing. There was an extra long line at the gas station, um, traffic light after traffic light. And finally, I just felt the Spirit say to me, you have no idea why all these things might be causing you to be delayed. Do you trust me? It's going back to the podcast where I had that bear charging me, and God changed my path on the way to where that bear was three different times. In this moment, God was saying, do you trust me? There's a reason. I can't tell you the peace that I begin to feel coming over me, because if I'm still here today or tomorrow, if the scripture says we will do this or that. So trust him. His timing is perfect. Um what about let me just kind of start to wrap this up with a, a one or two here and we'll, we'll finish up you know if they know that I'm capable they're expect more from me I used to play dumb I mean yeah, that's not too hard for me right uh, but I mean I used to really like play ignorant about things acting like I have no clue kind of what you're talking about or I don't know how to do that kind of a thing it's not necessarily that I didn't know how to do something I would I would Play dumb almost so that um, no one would hold me capable because I was afraid, there's your fear, that I wasn't going to be good enough. Because if I did something and it wasn't as good as what someone else did, there you go, the fear of comparison, um, that I was going to feel tyrannized by that. So I go back to um, 1 Corinthians 9 19. It says, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, because I'm a child of God. That's where my righteousness comes from, not from anybody else's opinion. He says, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience experience things from their point of view i become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. And if I'm self-protecting and acting stupid like I'm not capable, I don't get to be in on it. You know, maybe it's someone's, they're hurting right now, and you're afraid you're going to say the wrong things. Well, guess what? Usually, it's not about the things that you'll say to that person. Sometimes we'll say too much, and we can actually hurt the situation. It's showing up, it's being there, and letting them know I am here no matter what. Physical presence is an incredible gift. You know that we can we can give to somebody else. So don't unplug. Don't don't play dumb. Um, allow God in you to move toward that person. Listen to His voice. So let me just go back to the very last one here. Um, you know, if they leave. This would be the lie. If they leave, I'm going to be all alone. You know, I talked about the pain of losing, you know, both parents, uh, the pain of divorce, um, you know, ex-family members, all those kind of things. You know, if they, if they leave, I'm going to be alone, being uninvited to a wedding, whatever. Those are hard things. Um, you're going to grieve. Grief is healthy and you have to go through that. It's when it turns unhealthy that we can't function, that we have to be able to realize there's something else at work here. What is, what is the lie that I'm buying into? You know, if they leave, and going to be all alone. Because there's, yeah, there's truth. Maybe physically you're not going to have that person here, but you will never, ever be abandoned and alone. This is Deuteronomy uh, thirty-one eight. It says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. No, do not be discouraged so let me just kind of bring it back to this. You know, we have the helmet of salvation and we have the breastplate of righteousness. We have the sword of the spirit. We have this shield that God has given us that when the enemy comes after us with these attacks, because his, his goal is to take you out. He hates God, but God loves you and God cares about you. So he's given you his word, which really is sharper than any two-edged sword. So I want to encourage you, here we are at the beginning of this new year. As you're walking into these things and these fears, trust the one who will be with you always, who promises to never leave you or forsake you. Go back to his word. Maybe this is the year for you to go back and open it up again and say, I'm doing things differently this time. I'm not doing it on my own. You know, if you've been doing it on your own, my question is, how's that been working for you? Go back to his word. Find the core of who you are in Christ and begin to live out of that place. Your life will be changed. Others' lives will be changed. You have what it takes. We'll see you next time.